All right, good morning, and welcome to what I think is the 47th or 48th episode of the Stream of Random. We're slowly moving up, moving up in the world, and uh, some of the episodes actually got listeners. I was so surprised. I guess I hit a nerve on uh, some topics. So I'm really happy that uh, new people are joining the podcast, and I think I'm finding my voice, finding stuff that's interesting, <sighs> try to be relatable, and you know the great thing about podcasts is, um, yeah, if you don't like it, you just pause it, <laughs> and I listen to um, some other shows where people just ramble on for a long time about stuff and you don't know what they're talking about and you don't get all the inside jokes and um, hey it's okay <clears throat> so uh, you know people are free to express themselves so I'll tell you what's new in my world topics for today I was discussing whether or not graffiti and street art can be put onto OpenStreetMap, and they were saying that it's temporary and could be removed. And I agree that it is possibly temporary and could possibly be removed, but I also think it's a bias against the disenfranchised, disenfranchised and that we should uh, celebrate graffiti and street art for what it is, an expression of people's self, and it gives you important clues and information about your the, the area that you're in. So I think um, we should document street art on Wikipedia Commons, Wikimedia Commons, tag it appropriately, geotag it, and create maps. Um, and create a map, a separate map for street art on commons. I think that would be pretty cool. And even if it's removed, it doesn't matter because it was there at one point and um, it can be remembered. So uh, I think that would be an awesome little project to work on and maybe other people want to help. Um, <clears throat> and it should be as easy as pointing pointing your phone at, a, at something and taking a picture. Like, that's how I imagined it. Um, as easy as that. So, tagging is already baked in. I guess you could try and recognize who the person was who did the art, but, you know, the location should already be in the picture. The category, the city, all of that can be automatically collected. So we just need a, a modified version of some collector app, and we're good. Um, let's talk about building things.
So, I've been working um, at work on my um, build technology and uh, I was able to generate code build projects that create Docker images, generate code build projects that run code. And now, I had done this previously, but now I'm creating a code build project that will create code build projects. So previously I wasn't really ready to do that because I didn't know exactly the projects I wanted. So now I've got all of my variables worked out. I know kind of what I want. So I can create a, um, create a build project that creates builds, build projects. And the tricky thing is the security. So, and basically, um, what we're going to do is we're going to limit it in general to the general types of permissions. We're going to create a boundary. That kind of has the generic permissions for the things that we are normally doing. It won't be super specific. And if we need to create code build projects that have that grant more permissions, because the, the build project will also create the permissions in the security step. So you have to have a boundary in place that limits what permissions you can create. So that's the fun thing about um, AWS. You've got policies and then you've got boundaries, which look like policies except the boundaries limit what you can grant. So they can be like generic policies. Like you can't create IAM roles, or if you do create an IAM role, you can't grant these permissions. So we're going to limit the types of permissions that can be done in these build projects <clears throat> to generic ones that we used in the past so they won't have to be changed all the time but if you do want to grant sweeping permissions in a new job then you'll have to create a new base a new creator I know this is all very not clear clearly spoken it's kind of hard to um, talk about projects that create projects but uh, this is what I've been fighting with and thinking about a lot Basically, my whole idea is that um, <clears throat> you've got different roles in your project. You've got like pure code, like, oh, this is the app. Okay, so app code is one thing. And it's got a pretty clear set of permissions that it needs to run. It might like connect to the database, it might read and write S3 buckets, it might write SQS things, but it's not going to be creating roles and permissions. That's not an application, a normal app, unless it's a security app. 
So a security app is a special kind of app that creates permissions, let's say. And that is a different beast. So a project that creates security apps, or the security app itself, will have different permissions. And it'll have a different user base. And if we want to run the whole thing as infrastructure, as code, everything as code, then uh, it'll have a different approval system, a different audience, different set of approvals. It shouldn't be approved by the same people who are approving application code. Okay, so we laid that out. So we've got different workflows and different streams. You've got like security, so you've got database structure, you've got the database loading, like the actual data that goes into the database, like different migration jobs and ETL jobs. Um, you've got, let's say, building of dependencies and packages, um, defining of uh, infrastructure itself, like infrastructure as code, um, and all of these different workflows should have different build projects that build them and different approval processes, different groups of people that are concerned about them and different rules and regulations so that you're not mixing it all together and you can cache the results. So when you create a database version, well, hey, the database, um, The database should uh, be created and then made available to your developers as a snapshot. Made available as a snapshot so that the build system can use it, for example. And then the build system doesn't have to, uh, when it runs a check, let's say this branch check, it doesn't have to automatically um, rebuild the entire database every time and run all the migrations. So by separating those two steps, we can increase the performance and give people heads up like, okay, everyone, we're gonna work on this version of the database. And if there's a database change, everyone has to buy into it and upgrade the same time kind of thing or whatever the rules are but it's different than just a local data a local change to the code to some function so These are the things I've been thinking about. You know, setting up of users and roles, groups, or setting up of VPCs, layout of the network. All of these things are different levels of infrastructure, different levels of the system. 
And I think they should have different build jobs with different permissions and approvers. And by doing that, you're going to save yourself a lot of headaches. All right. So what else are we going to talk about? It's, uh, what else is new in my world that I want to share with you in your world? Well, I was talking to my friend yesterday, one of our co-hosts, Harry Reed. He's been in transition um, between sites and things, so... Uh, he hasn't been really um, on uh, podcast recording, but he, I was talking to him. And, uh, oh, and I've been talking to the other friend, Satish, and we are discussing, he, he grabbed a great domain name, osconf.org, and he asked me for some advice, what he could do. I said, if you really want to do something for your area, um, create an open source conference, a yearly one. And uh, he lives in Nepal, and he's actually working on that right now. And um, he's quite motivated. But I think he's got a great domain name, osconf.org, that can be used for a lot of subdomains. So I could have a New Jersey.us.osconf.org which is pretty cool. I like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about uh, what I do when I, I organized a couple of conferences and I also organized concerts and other events. And, um, hey guys, here's a couple of tips that I would give anybody if you want to organize a conference. If you want to organize a, um, a concert, some type of public event, First, you need a venue, and you need to pick the right venue. So the best part about a venue is that you don't pay nothing for it. Okay? And the best way to not pay nothing for it is to have a nonprofit organization organizing your conference that is has a bunch of local leaders on board who are supporting your conference. And um, the venue should be ideally free. I never paid for venues. And um, ideally the conference and events should be free as well. Or sponsors should pick up the fee for people who are disenfranchised, let's say, and need um, support. Like we made it all voluntary. Kansas Linux Fest, the uh, entry fee was voluntary, so people gave what they wanted to. Some people gave money, some people didn't. Um, and uh, you want to put out a date that's far enough in advance, at least a year. Give yourself at least one year to work on it and be prepared to work on it for a year. Um, don't have any exams or anything else like that. 
find some hyperactive 15-year-olds uh, to help you. You know, young people who are, have lots of energy. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know where to go. They want to be involved with something. Well, have them help you. <clears throat> and then uh, you need to create different letters. Like, first you have to put together an idea paper, like, what is this about? You have to found your organization, your nonprofits. You have to have a mission statement, like, to promote open source, free Libra software, um, open knowledge, open data, sharing. And then you also have to live up to those standards by sharing and being open and using open source. And you should have some kind of policies in place for the usage of non-free software, that it has to be approved, um, that you can't just tie your organization into some proprietary software or platforms, and that all uh, data produced and media produced, I think, should be independent of Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. So, like, self-hosted, self-contained, and owned. And then finally, if you want to share it then on one of these platforms, then go ahead and share it. But you shouldn't have it live. You shouldn't live in Facebook. You should just use Facebook to draw people out of Facebook into your platform. Whatever that is. I mean, that's the way I would see it. Um, that's my opinion on that. But I think those should be part of the founding documents. Because that, those are the bones of contention that I've always had. You know, even Telegram is not an open source platform. Um, yet we all use it and other things, but you've got IRC or Matters Most, Matter Most, and other platforms which are open source that you can use. And um, we should have policies for that. You know, security and all that stuff. So. I think those are important things for the founding documents of an organization. And these are just details, but I would suggest to do something like that in your founding documents. And any exceptions have to be approved by the board in writing, and they all have to be limited in time as to why we're doing this campaign on this proprietary platform and what's the advantage and why can't we do it with open source. And what are we going to do to get the data off of it? Okay. Like that would be the exception to the rule. So once you have your organization set up, you invite people to join the organization. Um, you're probably going to need a lawyer, an accountant, graphic designers, um, politicians, etc., who might support it somehow. But really what you need the most 
or young people who've got lots of time who are going to work on it with you. And they don't necessarily have to be the biggest open source hackers. They just have to be willing to hand out flyers and spam mailing lists and all that. So then some other things that we did with Flosk that were very successful was that um, we uh, had our members join or infiltrate other teams. So like every team member was responsible to join another team, let's say Fedora or Debian or Apache or whatever and become a member of that society so that they could represent us there. So you have your multi-matrix type organizations and you need to have representatives in them. Or you invite people from those organizations to join your organization. Um, but the great thing if you're living in a small country with visa restrictions is that um, if you join a project like Firefox, the Firefox members, they got to go to conferences, they got sponsorships, and they did like release parties, they got swag, they were sent packages of t-shirts, and they had a great time. And Firefox has a great community, Fedora has a great community. I mean, they really, Ubuntu in the beginning had release parties. And uh, there's new upcoming open source projects, even like Bitcoin, wallets and you know cryptocurrencies and stuff and all types of stuff I would suggest okay so then you got your organization going you're doing release parties you're doing small events you're organizing talks like once a month talks you're getting venues or places to hang out I mean the Floss team I didn't really support it in the beginning because I thought it was separate but they really did a great job with the hackerspace and they developed their own hackerspace as part of Flosk or adjacent to it and that turned out really great like a hackerspace is pretty damn cool and I never believed they could pull it off but they did so congratulations guys um, and um, Yeah, the team is also setting up all types of infrastructure, and uh, you're going to need people to do that as well in your group. <clears throat> okay, so how to organize your first conference? Well, you've got your venue, you've got your organization, you've got your team. Now you put together a project team for the conference, right? And you need to do a call for speakers. There's like a C for P. CFP, this call for papers, um, wiki, you can put your papers out there. Um, you want to advertise that on all the mailing lists of the teams that you've joined, your team has joined, then um, you have to do your social media. But you have to invite speakers, so you have to pick your topics, and then you have to invite people. And um, the first topic we had for the first year in Kosovo was how a developing country can benefit from open source. I think that's a great topic, you know. And you can invite speak, talks on that topic, like how can a developing country benefit from open source? What are the things they can, we can learn from them? We can learn from other countries 
um, what can you learn from Kosovo? Like the open street map stuff is just amazing what they're doing there. Best for it and the team are doing amazing stuff with uh, open street map. You know, that's just one one part, right? And uh, what can we learn from other groups, other countries, and invite them, invite other national uh, organizations, developing country organizations. The guys in Albania started a couple of years after FLOSC, uh, OSCAL, and Open Labs with Redon and team. They're doing a great job. There's a lot of other groups out there. And invite them uh, to speak and ask them for uh, why, what we can learn from them, what, what, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and invite people to speak about that. Like, I think that's a great topic. And then also you want to make stuff that's for newbies, for beginners, because you're going to get a lot of beginners showing up for the first conference. People who are curious, they have no idea what you're talking about. So you want to say like a beginner track, introduction to Linux, introduction to Firefox or whatever. I don't know, but like some beginner tutorials, hands-on, people love that. If you can get a computer lab, um, mobile phone apps, open source, the F-Droid stuff, FSF Europe. Those guys came down and talked. And there's also like the Free Software Foundation and all these other uh, umbrella organizations you can talk to. And um, so those are some ideas on getting speakers. But I really suggest you create a topic that is like beginners, beginner topics, beginner track, and then like how can we help society, a developing society, like OpenGeo, OSGeo, and um, maps, you know, education, Wikipedia, right? Um, you can invite the humanitarian OpenStreetMap people to talk about what they did in Nepal during the earthquake, humanitarian response. Right? So, um, so those are some ideas. And then, um, now this is some other important things we learned. So, first of all, you want to get hotels. For your guests. You want to pay for their flights. Um, you want to raise money for that and get sponsors. So we considered a company a sponsor if they paid for their own flight. It's like, you pay for the flight, you're a sponsor. Um, you pay for someone else's flight, you're a sponsor. So we put them up in hotels. Um, you know, you might want to get them a SIM card or something for whatever local network you might have. You might have phone issues put together a little welcome kit, edit the wiki voyage for your town, give them like where to go, things like that. Have someone pick them up from the airport, make sure that they get on the plane, make sure they have their flights, make sure they're on time, make sure the flights are paid for, make sure everything is budgeted. So you should have one person responsible for every speaker to be their dedicated helper, let's say, 
and assign to them. And that's the person who's the primary point of contact. That's the person who will help them. The person will pick them up from the airport, bring them to the hotel, make sure they have everything, etc., etc., etc. That will save you a lot of headaches. You want to organize, you know, a dinner on the first night when the speakers arrive. You want to have regular events. You need to have a green room in the conference, like a, a lounge room for speakers with food, with drinks, with high-speed internet, with lots of power cables, cell phone charges of different types, stuff like that. You know, we ordered, like, food, like snacks and stuff, and you want to have vegetarian options, you want to have meat options, you know, different, you want to find out what people's food preferences are. So you got to think of it like a hospitality uh, type situation. <clears throat> and then um, you need posters and banners and graphics. You want to have a map of the venue, a map of the city, a little info packet. Ideally, you have a phone app for your conference with the basic information on there and the schedule, a way to message people ask questions. Um, you want to make sure your internet is enough to handle a storm of people. I guess you need to worry about parking and transportation. So these are all the types of things you want to think about when you're planning your conference. And you know what? It's okay if you plan the big conference for year two. Because even just setting up your organization and doing smaller events doing release parties and having like single speakers show up, that's enough to keep you busy for a year. So, uh, you know, you don't need to go crazy and overdo it. It's okay to say we're going to do it in 2022 and not 21. All right. Well, these are some tips on organizing your open source conference. I hope you enjoyed it and I will catch y'all later in the next episode. Thanks for listening.